The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. You know, every family kind of has their own set of rules, and uh, some of those rules are pretty normal. Other rules are maybe a a little bit strange. When I was a kid, my family had some pretty strict rules about the words that, you know, that my sister and I were not allowed to say, and... uh, and to be fair, you know, I never heard my parents using any of the words that, you know, we were not allowed to use, so it was never a case of, you know, do what I say and not what I do, um, and so that, that wasn't the situation. And, and to be fair, you know, it was probably the list of words that I wasn't allowed to say as a kid were probably very similar to the list of words that you were not allowed to say when, when you were a kid. But then in my family, we also had the second list of wor- words that we were not allowed to say, not because they were bad words, but because these words, they sounded a little too much like other words that were uh, on the bad word list. And two of the words that we were not allowed to say were the words, gosh, and darn, because they clearly sounded too much like words which were on that, that bad word list. Now, I don't know if this sounds normal to you or if this sounds strange to you, but if you're at all familiar with the, the New Testament, then that whole idea of kind of making a rule to keep you from breaking another rule, that's kind of a, a pretty common theme that we find. Well, what was hard for me about this was that I mean, as a kid, you know, my friends, as far as I could tell, you know, they didn't have the rule about the words on the first list, and they really didn't have the rule about the words on the second list. And although I did a pretty good job of not saying the words on the first list, I really didn't do a good job at all about not saying the words on the second list that were supposed to keep me from saying the words on the first list. And one of my earliest memories as a kid growing up, in fact, I grew up here in Troy, actually in the neighborhood right, right behind the church. I lived on, uh, on Cleveland Street, if you know that neighborhood at all. But one of my earliest memories growing up as a kid is my mom telling me that if I kept using and saying the word darn, right, she's going to wash my mouth out with soap. And, you know, at the beginning, I kind of, you know, I, I heard what she was saying. I did a pretty good job of keeping that rule. But eventually, kind of the fear of that threat you know, began to wear off, and my mom did become, you know, the threatening, repeating parent, which, you know, like we all know, is not a good thing for any of us as parents to become, especially if you happen to have a kid like me who was constantly kind of pushing the rules and kind of testing the the rules. Well, one of my earliest memories, I I remember with my sister, I was probably in second or third grade maybe at the time, and, and we were in the basement playing together, and for us, playing was kind of a loose term because playing quickly became arguing and fighting. And so I don't remember what exactly we were doing, but we're in the basement together, and we're playing together, and we start fighting together. And, and I said a, a word to my sister that was not on the second list, but actually on the first list. And as soon as I said that word to my sister, you know, both of us, we just kind of stopped and froze and just we were just like, okay, now what? Because we knew what maybe you know, which is that moms have this incredible ability to actually hear things, right? Moms, you can hear things like through floors and through walls. And I remember hearing the sound of a, of a kitchen chair, you know, sliding over the, the kitchen floor and the basement door opening and the sound of, of footsteps coming down the stairs. And these were not gentle footsteps. These were serious footsteps, And once my mom got into the basement and I saw her face, I realized this was not the threatening, repeating parent that I had gotten so used to. 
And so I kind of ran around her and I shot up the basement stairs. But even then, my sense of direction betrayed me because instead of running into the kitchen where I could have kept her chasing me endlessly around the kitchen table, I ran into the laundry room, which was more like a laundry hallway because at the end of that hallway was our downstairs bathroom and now I was trapped. And I remember looking at the sink in that bathroom and sitting on the edge of that sink was this big, bright yellow bar of dial soap. And so I kind of closed my eyes and the next thing I remember is that bar of soap going into my mouth. And to this day, to this day, when I go and visit my parents in St. Louis and I go into their bathroom and I see a bright yellow bar of dial soap sitting there on the bathroom sink, I, can, I, can, I still get this kind of queasy feeling because I can still remember the taste of that soap in, in my mouth. Now, I, I tell you that story this morning because it's kind of funny and I think truthfully you probably have a story like that too if you're a little honest with yourself. But also, also because that story is actually one of my first memories of, of behavior modification, right? Because I learned as a kid, just like you learned as a kid, that there are certain things that we just, we just can't do, we just can't say, because there are consequences. And you only need to have you know, your, your mouth washed out with soap once to know, hey, I'm just not going to say that anymore. And, and then as we get older, we actually learn, right, from behavior modification that, that not only are there certain things that we can't say and certain things that we can't do, we actually learn as we get older there are certain things that we have to say. We, we learn there are certain things that we have to do if we, if we want to get through school, right? I mean, if we want to get a job interview someday, if we want to actually get a job someday or have a, a date or, or, or have a relationship or keep a relationship or, or, or keep a job, we, we learn there are certain things that we have to say and certain things that we actually have to do if we want to just, you know, just even make life kind of work. And yet every once in a while, you know, something happens to us and we say something we didn't mean to say or we do something that we didn't mean to do and, and, and we kind of even catch ourselves maybe when we say, you know, you know hey, where did, you know, where did that come from? And suddenly maybe, you know, a relationship crashes or we lose a job. Maybe a, a, a long friendship is, is broken. And we think to ourselves, you know, I, I better not ever, I better not ever do, do that again. Because over time, all of us, we, do, we develop some kind of a filter through which we filter our words and, and our behavior in order to just kind of make life, life work. Because, it, I mean, if you don't have a filter, right, I mean, you get your mouth washed out with soap every day. We develop this filter of, of words and, and, and behavior just so that we can kind of somewhat function in, in, in life and, and maintain relationships and keep a job and do all those things that, that we need to do in order to just make life work. And so we learn pretty early on in life how to monitor our behavior. But see, the truth is, the, the, the truth is that's, that isn't enough, is it? Because at some point in our lives, for every single one of us, something happens, something, something actually you know, comes through the filter, right, that, that shocks and, and surprises even us. And we think, where in the world did that come from? Maybe you've even had somebody actually say to you at some point in your life, you know, that's not like you. I, I, I can't believe that you said that. I, I can't believe that, that you, you would do that. I mean, that's not, 
That's not like you. And, 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 and we think to ourselves, you know, it, it's like, it's as if my filter somehow got, got a hole in it. And so really quick, we try to, we try to patch it up and, and, and we try to, you know, we, we try to tell ourselves, okay, I better not ever say that again. I better not ever do. I better not ever do that again. And what we're going to talk about together over the course of the next several weeks as we move through this season called Lent is that it's really not enough for us to, to, to simply you know, try to monitor our, our behavior because our problem, it isn't really a behavior problem. And what's kind of interesting about what's going on in our world right now is there's this big, huge discussion that all of us are, are hearing and, and witnessing take place, this big, huge discussion about behavior and actions and what's right and what's wrong, both in public and in private. What's so interesting is that up to this point, at least, it seems, it appears that, that we have completely neglected and ignored this one thing, this one thing, this one source from which we're going to see throughout this entire series that all of life emanates from. And when it's healthy, life is healthy. And when it's broken, life, life is broken. In fact, this is exactly what we find Jesus explaining to us in Matthew chapter 15. Take out your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 15, which if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you, you can find on page 1,521. Now, you may have heard me say this to you before, but whenever Jesus would teach, there would always be a crowd of people that would gather around to listen to Jesus, and, and wherever Jesus would go, those crowds would follow him. And yet, on the outside of those crowds, there would always be these little pockets and little clusters of people who were there, not because... Not because they, they loved Jesus, but actually because they hated him. And they were there because they were looking, uh, they were trying to find a way to actually drive a wedge between Jesus and these crowds of people who were following him. And every once in a while, one of these little clusters of people, they kind of would manage to work their way to the front of the crowd, and they'd raise their hand and they'd say, Hey Jesus, hey Jesus, we, right, we have a question for you. And their questions to Jesus was always a, a trick question. Which is one of the reasons I, I think that reading the Gospels is so fascinating. And that is exactly what's happening in Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, which says this. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands before they eat. Now, what these people were referring to was this. In the Old Testament law, there was a law that said that all the, all the priests, anyone who was, was going to do sacred work before God, that they had to go through very specific ceremonial washings because they, they had to always be ready to offer a sacrifice to God. And you didn't want to offer a sacrifice to God and have your hands uh, unclean. So they had to constantly be clean. Well, over time, these religious leaders they, they took this law and they began to apply this law and, and impose this law on everybody. But see, the Old Testament law didn't actually say that. The Old Testament law said this rule was actually just meant for, for them. And so Jesus and his followers, they're not, they're not breaking one of the laws. It's just that Jesus is, is choosing to not pay attention to a tradition that these people have made up. And so Jesus responds to this group of people, and so he says, well, let me then ask you a question. Why do you break the command of God for the sake 
of your tradition. Jesus is saying, listen, you're accusing me of breaking you know, a tradition that's not even a command of God, and yet you actually, he says, you actually break a command of God just to protect one of your man-made traditions. Now, we can really quickly kind of illustrate the absurdity of this whole thing kind of like this. Imagine a father saying you know, to, to his teenager, right, listen, I do not want you to speak disrespectfully to your mother. And so the teenager replies back to the father and says, okay, that's fine. Then I just won't speak to her at all. That way, I won't accidentally speak to her disrespectfully. To, to which the father naturally replies, well, well, doing that, that is actually being disrespectful, right? You, you, you made a rule to, to keep from breaking a rule which is actually a violation of the rule. That, that's exactly what this group of people have done. That there's one particular commandment that Jesus knows that these religious leaders that they do not want to keep. And so they kind of came up with their own rule to keep them from having to obey God's law. And Jesus knows. I mean, he knows. He knows the game that they're playing. He, he knows exactly what it is that they're doing. And so he tells them exactly what it is that he's referring to. He says, for God said, honor your father and your mother, which all of them knew, right, was part of the Ten Commandments. But, in verse 5, but you say that if man says to his father or mother, you know, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Now, that whole thing makes absolutely no sense to us, right, whatsoever, but see, Jesus' audience, they knew exactly what it is that Jesus was referring to because, because you kind of got to hand it to these religious leaders. They were actually pretty crafty. And what they had done is they had developed a rule where a person could just kind of verbally, not, not physically, but just verbally dedicate all of their wealth and all of their possessions to the temple. And so a, a wealthy person, they could, or even a, a moderately wealthy person, a wealthy religious leader, they could just say, they could just say, I now dedicate all of my belongings, I now dedicate all of my wealth to the temple. But then according to this tradition that they had come up with, that very same person could actually use that wealth to support themselves and their immediate family for as long as they lived. And, and what these people had done was to actually come up with a rule to prevent them from being generous. So that that way... If someone were to actually come to them and ask them for help, they could actually say, and they would actually say to them, listen, I'm sorry, I, I would love to help you, but see, I've dedicated all of my wealth to God. And God doesn't mind if I use all of this to, to help me take care of me, but he's going to be mad at me if I use it to help, to help you. And so then what would happen is that these religious leaders their aging parents would actually come to them needing help. Now, I mean, just think about that for a moment in, in, you know, in this culture. I mean, think about that kind of a situation in, in this culture where, you know, after a certain age, right, your, your eyes just don't work the way that they used to. And, and something as simple as a pair of glasses doesn't even exist. 
And so parents back then, they needed the help of their children just like they do now. And yet these religious leaders, their parents would come to them asking for help. And they would actually say to their own parents, they would actually say, you know, Mom, Dad, I would love to help you. I mean, I really would. But see, I can't give you anything because I've given all of it to God. See, Jesus knows. I mean, Jesus knows exactly. He knows exactly the game that these people are playing. He, he knows what their real motivation is. And Jesus is having absolutely none of it. So he actually says to these people, he says, you nullify, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Now, something else that you should kind of know about Jesus, whenever he would end a conversation with the phrase, you hypocrites, right? That was kind of code for, for, okay, talking time is now over, and you should probably leave, which they did. So the religious leaders began to walk off. And now Jesus is just left with this crowd of people who are kind of looking around wondering what just happened. And so in verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd to him, and he says to them, listen and understand. Kind of interesting. Listen and understand. In other words, he says, listen, I, I want to make sure that you understand exactly what just happened between me and these religious leaders. I want to make sure that you're, you're crystal clear about this because this is important. Because this exchange that you just saw, this isn't simply about rules and behavior. And so Jesus says to them in verse 11, he says, what goes into a person's mouth does not make them unclean. Because remember, this whole thing started by these religious leaders asking a question about people eating without washing their hands first. What goes into a man's mouth does not make that person unclean. But what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. Another translation actually says what comes out of a person's mouth is what defiles them. It's what puts them at odds with God. For out of the heart, Jesus says, out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts. Now, as, as Jesus is speaking these words to, to his apostles and to his followers, as he says these words to them, he can tell by looking at them that they don't quite understand exactly what it is that he's saying. Jesus, are you saying that God is actually more bothered by what it is that we say than what we do? Jesus, are you saying that God is actually more bothered by how my words impact people than how it is that my words actually impact or affect God himself? 
Jesus, are, are you saying that God is more bothered by what we say than what it is that we eat? See, this was a, a brand new idea for these people. They had, they had never heard anything like this before. This was 180 degrees different than what they had been taught to think about God. And once this crowd of people begins to dissipate, and once they too begin to filter away, and it's just Jesus left with his disciples, Peter comes over to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, you know, like me and you, we're like this, right? Like I am your number, I am your number one guy, Jesus, you know that, right? And I want you to know, Jesus, I understood, you know, everything that you were saying back there but those other guys, they're not exactly as sharp as I am, Jesus. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. But Jesus, I was thinking that maybe, you know, you could kind of come over here with the other guys and, and you could kind of explain to them, you know, what it is that, that you just said. Maybe, you know, Jesus, that you could just kind of tell them because I don't think they really understand what you mean. And Jesus is like, oh, Peter, for them, really, you want me to come and explain it for them? And Peter's like, yeah, you know, you know, for them. Verse 17, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth, these... These make a man, these make a person unclean. For out of the heart, Jesus says, comes evil thoughts. To which we want to say, no they don't, Jesus. Our thoughts come from our brains, not from our hearts. And Jesus says, no. No, your evil thoughts, they actually come from your heart. When, when you say evil things, Jesus would say, that's because there is something that is evil in your heart. For out of your heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, which is, which is all about greed, right? False testimony, which is lying. Slander, which is all about envy, because, because, listen, when I'm with you, I don't ever feel good about me, and so the only way that I'm going to feel good about me when I'm with you is to say something bad about you. And when that happens, what do we even say? We even say to ourselves, you know, I need to watch my mouth better. I shouldn't say things like that. And Jesus says, no, the problem is not your mouth. It's your heart. Because those words are not, are not simply bad manners. Those words are a reflection of something that's gotten stuck in your heart. And until we actually deal with those things that get stuck in our hearts, see, even our best attempts at behavior modification is really nothing more than just a filter. And there is no real or lasting change inside of us. This is why. This is why the wisest man in the world, a man by the name of Solomon, 
a man who, who wrote on, on almost every subject and topic imaginable. He writes through the, the Proverbs, the Song of Songs, the book of Ecclesiastes. He writes on politics and government and family, marriage, romance, business, leadership. He writes on almost every single subject available, and yet, and yet it's this, this man Solomon who says to us, above all else, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. In other words, if you don't pay any attention to anything else that I'm going to say to you, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of, of life. Literally, he's telling us, it is where life comes from. Because you, you live from your heart, you, you love from your heart, you lead from your heart, you, you manage your family and, and your business from your heart, you, you handle your finances from your heart, you parent from your heart. Solomon says to all of us that, that from our hearts comes the wellspring of life, that all of life, and so Solomon, he simply agrees with what it is that Jesus is saying to us. He says our words, our actions, our attitudes, our relationships, all of that comes from our hearts. And so because of that, he gives us this command. He says, above all else, guard your heart. You know what the word guard means? It means to watch what is coming into a place. And to keep your eye on what is coming out of a place. To pay attention to what goes in. And to keep your eye on what is coming out. And Solomon, who's one of the most practical and applicable authors in the entire Scripture, Solomon says this one thing, this one thing is more important than anything else that I am going to write about. Because above all else, he says, you've got to learn to guard, to stand guard over your heart. Because everything in life comes from and emanates from this, this invisible, intangible thing, right? That's not just your, it's not your brain, it's not just simply your emotions, it's this invisible, intangible thing that, that makes you, you. This thing that God himself has actually put inside of you. And, and he tells us we've got to learn how to guard. How to guard our hearts. Because all of life, the scripture says, actually comes from it. And see, let's face it. Let's face it. Let's be honest. For most of us, we were never taught how to do this, were we? I mean, nobody ever trained us to do this. Nobody ever trained us to, to guard our hearts, right? No, no, nobody ever said, this is how you know that something has gotten in here that, that you don't want to have in there. No, we were just taught how to behave, right? We were just taught how, how to be good. We were just taught what to say and, and what not to say. Nobody ever trained us to understand, okay, here's how something is in there that you don't want to have in there. Nobody taught us that. And yet the wisest man in the world in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, tells us that we all have to learn how to guard our hearts. We need to be able to actually kind of push back from a difficult situation maybe, maybe a difficult conversation that we find ourselves in and say, okay, I, I hear 
what they're saying. I see what's happening. But what's going on in here? What's gotten in here that shouldn't be in here? What's actually coming out of me that's telling me that there's something in here that, that shouldn't be in there? Because, see, the truth is, is that life in this world has, has this way for all of us uh, of putting stuff into our hearts that has absolutely no business being there. And see, if we do not know, if we do not know what it is that God himself actually says to us about clearing out and cleaning out and getting rid of that stuff that is breaking and ruining our hearts, then our hearts and our lives are simply left broken. And yet, the whole reason that we mark this season of Lent is to remind us that Jesus, he actually allowed himself, Jesus allowed himself and his heart to be broken on the cross to heal the brokenness of sin that is actually in our hearts. And so as we open up God's word together and over the course of these next several weeks and we, and, and we gain insight, into what it is that God himself wants to say to each of us as, he, as we talk together about a number of these different subjects and topics that we, we kind of hear Jesus reference this morning. For some of us, for some of us, there's going to be something inside of us that's going to want to kind of push back a, a little bit from some of this. And we're going to be tempted to say things like, well, you know, if, if God will change my heart, well, then fine. I guess I'm open to having my heart changed. Or if God will change his heart, or if God will change her heart, you know, then, then, then I'll ask God to change my heart. And see, for some of us, for some of us, this is going to be some hard and some difficult work. But see, here's the challenge. Will we learn what we need to learn? Or are we just going to continue to believe the lie that we are stuck? with a broken heart. Jesus allowed his heart and himself to be broken for us so that our broken hearts could actually be healed by his. And and yes, the truth is, some of this stuff is very uncomfortable. But see, the great news, the great news is that our Heavenly Father not only gives us the command to guard our hearts, but he actually gives to us Jesus to do it. And see, as, as your pastor, as, as your pastor, I so badly, I so deeply want this for every single one of you. I, I so much want for every single one of us to, to pay attention to and guard not simply what comes out of our mouths, but also what is going on in our hearts. Because I, I believe so deeply from what the Scriptures say to us and also from what I've experienced in my own life, that, that we live from our hearts and that from every part of our life that comes from and it emanates from our hearts and what an awesome opportunity we have to actually listen and understand and to pay attention to something that nobody else in our culture or our world will teach us to pay attention to because see according to Jesus, according to Jesus, this, this drives our words, it drives our actions, 
and it drives all, all of life. And see, the great news is, and, and, and maybe the new news, if you're somewhat new to following Jesus or, or you're not quite sure about the whole church thing and Christianity thing, and you wouldn't necessarily even, maybe even call yourself a, a Christian because you're, you're still kind of skeptical about all this. The, the, the great news is, is this. See, if you thought that church and Christianity was all about behave, right, it, it's not about that. It, it's not about that a, at all. Your Heavenly Father actually says to you, I want to change you from the inside out. I want to change your heart. He says, I'm I'm not just going to give to you a a new and improved and more sophisticated kind of a filter. That's not at all, He says, what it is that I want for you. I want so much more for you than that. That's why I have given to you a Savior to heal and restore those parts of your heart that are broken. And to actually kill those things that have gotten stuck in your heart that if left unchecked are only going to bring you more hurt and more pain and more sadness. So is everything okay? In your heart? Today, as we wrap up and as we begin the season of Lent together, I want us to close with kind of a prayer moment. And I'm going to ask you just simply to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to ask you just a series of of questions. And I'm going to give you a few moments to just kind of reflect on those questions personally. And then that will lead us into communion this morning. So everyone bow your head, close your eyes. Is everything okay in your heart? Are, are you mad at anybody? Have you had any extended imaginary conversations with anyone lately? Do, do things come out of your mouth? on a regular basis that you have to apologize for? Or maybe that embarrass you? Have you secretly celebrated anyone's failures recently? Do you have any secrets that you're hoping nobody finds out about? Anything going on in your life that that you hope no one discovers? Any questions that you hope nobody asks you? Is there something that you're hiding from the people who love you the most? Heavenly Father, as we take these moments as we think about these questions, as we take this time to examine our hearts. Our prayer as, the, as we journey together through this season known as Lent is that you would actually be the one to teach us to guard our hearts. And Father, that begins with confession. It begins as we confess and as we expose those things that lurk in the darkest parts of 
of our hearts, not to, as we expose those things to you, not because you didn't already know that they were there, but Father, because we actually need you to remove them from us. And so we ask that in these next few moments that you hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that our God, he is faithful and just. And he has promised that through Jesus that he will forgive us of our sin and that he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And so each of you, your sin and you are truly forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen.